0: Well, I hope that you are enjoying the Revelation series as much as I am. Uh, I'm learning a lot <laughs> as I study this book. Now, uh, don't think this is the first time I've read through Revelation. Uh, I've read through, you know, there's a difference between reading through a book and actually studying the book uh, in prayer and in and reading commentaries and, and all kinds of things and just relying upon the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. But I hope you are enjoying this Revelation series. Uh, I've heard uh, many comments uh, that uh, su- such as, man, I didn't know that was even in there. Uh, it's really intriguing to see what God is, uh, God is up to and know that God is on his throne and all these things. And um, so we have just a few more weeks of Revelation series. We're actually going to finish on November 20th. So we have three more weeks, uh, and so we will be finished with this amazing book. I encourage you uh, to read this book and study this book uh, on your own as well. Now, if you have missed any of the sermons, you can actually go online to lakepointonline.com, and you can also listen to, uh, you can download um, our podcast, and you can listen to that as well. So I encourage you to... uh, to do that. So uh, we are in uh, our sixth week, and we are going through this amazing book. Week one, we talked about the seven churches. Um, And week two, we talked about God is on his throne. Thank you, Jesus. He will be on his throne even after uh, Tuesday. And week three, we talked about the seven seals. There was a scroll uh, in God's hand while he was on his throne, and there were seven seals on uh, on that scroll to seal up what was inside of that scroll, and only Jesus uh, could open. Uh, those seals and to see what's in that scroll. Things such as military conquest, uh, civil war, famine, plagues, and a lot of this really begins the, uh, the tribulation, which I believe we're in the early stages of that tribulation. The sixth seal is what I believe um, is when the rapture takes place, and the great tribulation takes place after the rapture. Uh, week four, we talked about the great tribulation. And the seventh seal uh, revealed seven angels with seven trumpets, various Acts of God's judgment was poured out on all the evil in this world, and as each trumpet was sounded. Now, keep in mind that during the great tribulation, it's after the rapture, God will open up the eyes of 144,000 Jews. Uh, who will speak the truth as to uh, Jesus being the Messiah. Their eyes will be open because they have the Torah, they have the Old Testament, and then they have the New Testament. They don't really believe in the New Testament, but they'll put it all together and they'll realize what's going on. Those 144,000 will come to faith in Jesus and lead others to Christ. Now, last week, we uh, ended with a beast. Uh, We looked at what happens at the seventh trumpet. is sounded by the seventh angel, we were introduced to this beast, uh, to the Antichrist and his number of 666. And this week we will look through the chapters 14, 15, and 16, and we will end with the battle of Armageddon. So if you have your copy of God's word, we want to turn to Revelation chapter 14, 15, and 16. You can also look on the Bible app, uh, uh, bible.com, you can go to that. And uh, under events, look at Lake Point Church. Okay, y'all Ready? All right, good, let's do it. Uh, Revelation chapter 14, here we go. Then I, John, looked, and there before me was the Lamb, Jesus, standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women and they were and remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Okay, so that right there is exact scripture right there, verses one through five. Now it talks about how he is um, he hears like the sound of rushing waters, um, and it's hard for John to totally describe that because he just hears multitude of people singing praise, and it sounds like they're playing you know their harps or. You know who knows what what it sounds like, but the only thing he can figure it out is just sounds like rushing waters. If you've ever been to uh, a a waterfall like Amicalola, and you could just stand there and close your eyes, that's what that heaven's going to sound like. uh, Maybe from from a distance, just hear all that through heaven uh, and uh, and see that. Just this past week. uh, one of our, uh, one of my sons and I, we were walking uh, after school down this hallway here at South Central Middle School, and we heard this this sound, and it sounded like people clapping like applauding, like a lot of people. And we know school was out, and we are towards the end of this hallway. It's like, what, what's going on? Why are people clapping? And as we got closer, we realized it was a basketball practice. And it was a bunch of basketballs just bouncing on the gym floor, and the gym doors were open. And we're like, oh, it's it's basketballs. But to us, it sounded like applause. You know, so it's sort of similar to what, what John um, experienced there with the sound of rushing uh, waters. So um, this chapter 14 begins talking about the hundred forty you know, we've talked about them before. Those, are those, who, those who are worshiping the beast have a mark of 666. By contrast, the 144,000 have a mark of the name of Jesus and of God on their foreheads. Now, we're going to move into the three angels. We are presented with three angels who have three announcements to make. They are carrying three important declarations from God. So let's look at the first angel. Verse 6, then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The first angel is what happening here. The first angel is proclaiming the eternal gospel to The whole earth. Everyone has been given the opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to his message. So that's his message. Okay, hear the gospel, first angel, second angel, verse eight. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. So let me explain this a little bit. Babylon is not only referring to the actual city of Babylon, but also to the Babylon demonic power that rules over other cities. For instance, the disciple Peter calls Rome as Babylon in his first letter, 1 Peter. Rome was the new Babylon because it was a world power of the day. Babylon is Rome, and the Roman Empire is declared to be fallen. Fallen. But like many prophecies, they, continue double, they contain double meaning and double events. We, we've seen that throughout this study. What we read here in Revelation 14 is that the Great Babylon has fallen. Now, I personally believe the Great Babylon is a satanic power, quite possibly uh, the beast we read about last week. Okay, let me give you, for example, for example, the Nazi party back in, back in World War II, they were led by Hitler could be considered a great Babylon, the great evil spirit. So the great Babylon, what he's talking about is the great Babylon, the great beast, the great demonic power has fallen. And I think that great uh, uh, satanic power moves to different, um, to different empires throughout human history. All right. The third angel, verse nine through 13. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark of 666 on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength Into the cup of his wrath, and we're gonna go to that in a second. Understand that. They will be tormented with burning sulphur and the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no more rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. 666. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his command and remain faithful to Jesus then i heard a voice from heaven say write this blessed are the dead who die in the lord from now on yes says the spirit they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them so let me say well god's kind of a god's kind of a mean god if he's he's going to be pouring out his wrath understand this the church has been raptured. The 144,000 have received Christ that are left in the earth and have shared the gospel message to people. And people have come to uh, saving faith in Jesus. And so the people that, are, the people that are, are left are those people who refuse to follow Jesus even after the church has been raptured. They just don't see it. They just don't see it. Even after chance, after chance, after chance, they don't see it. So as many, uh, many people know, people typically drank their wine back in Jewish time, back, back when this was written. The people used to drink their wine mixed with water. So drinking, drinking water was a, a problem then because the water was not clean and would cause a lot of illness. So the people would drink wine, and the wine would be diluted with water. Typically two or three parts water to one part wine. Now notice that this angel says they're going to drink the wine full strength. The wine is pictured as the wrath of God. They will drink of God's wrath undiluted. God's judgment is not going to be watered down. They will receive the full brunt of God's anger for their sins, Those who are giving their allegiance to the emperors and worshiping them as divine will be tormented forever and ever and have no rest day or night. This is the same kind of language that Jesus used to describe the eternal punishment on those who reject him. Notice in in verse 13, reminds the readers again that they are going to die for this strong faith in Jesus Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They are blessed for their faithfulness while the beast makes war on the people of God. So the people that are there, that are left, who have accepted Christ, um, they're going to have to die for the name. Okay, These are people who have missed a rapture. But they're going to uh, understand uh, faith, saving faith in Jesus, and they're going to have to be killed. They're going to have to be martyred in order to, uh, to be in heaven. Because as we read earlier last week, um, those people who do not receive the mark, they're not going to be able to buy anything, purchase anything. They're not going to be able to have anything. They're not going to be able to really live in this life. And so um, uh, that ends um, the f- third angel. So then it talks about uh, the sickles. Okay, the sickles, it's sort of a, 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 a handle with a blade, and it, it, it basically uh, um, harvests the wheat. So imagine a wheat field back before we had John Deere's, and they would take that and they would, they would harvest uh, the wheat. So that's what he's talking about with the sickles. So in verse 4 of chapter uh, 14, verse 4, of chapter 14, 14, I'm sorry, 14, 14, says this. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the throne, take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. These were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, which is about 180 miles. So you have this image of these two angels coming out of the temple. One angel harvests and another angel strikes his sickle as well, causes lots of bloodshed. A lot of, um, a lot of Bible scholars use this as, as imagery for what's going to be happening with the, uh, with the last battle, with the battle of Armageddon. But let me explain this a little bit more. So Christ is coming to harvest the earth, reaping what had been sown. He swings his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. I believe this is picturing the righteous people of God being reaped to the Lord, the rest of those who did not take the mark of the beast. Those 144,000 plus those who, uh, who've been added to that. The parallel will be the, the, the parable of the weeds that Jesus spoke about earlier. Um, we read this about the wheat and the weeds growing together. Then the wheat are reaped and tied into the uh, taken into the barn while the weeds are gathered for the fire. Once the elect are re- reaped, then another angel comes with a sharp sickle. He is to gather the grapes and throw them into the winepress of God's wrath. This is picturing of devastating judgment. So Jesus talks about while he was on this earth, he talks about a parable where this farmer was uh, had this huge crop, and he had workers, and uh, and they planted wheat. And uh, people use wheat all the time and everything. And so they planted um, this crop and overnight some, uh, some bandits came and they, uh, they uh, planted, uh, put some weeds into his crop. And um, the weeds and the wheat began to grow up together and um, the, the farmer... Uh, saw this, and the worker saw this, and the worker said, should we go ahead and pull up the weeds that are growing alongside the wheat? Now, the wheat in this parable representing the children of God, and the weeds representing those people who are evil. And so the farmers, uh, workers asked, should we pull up the weeds that are growing with the wheat? And the farmer says, you know, we can't do that because you might damage the wheat if you pull up the weeds. Let them grow together. And then in the harvest, when we reap it, we will cut them out and we will separate the wheat from the weeds. And we will bind up the wheat and use that and put it in storage in safe housing in the barn. And the weeds, we will go ahead and burn. That right there is great imagery, what Jesus talked about. And that's exactly what we see here with this image of the, uh, from John where he sees this growing up together of the weeds and the wheat. And in the last days, um, the, both of them will be harvested and those will be taken into heaven and those will be into eternal damnation. All right, so going on to chapter 15. Seven angels and seven plagues. So just when you thought God's judgment of the evil in this world was over, <laughs> we see seven more angels with seven more plagues. You know, as you read this, you think, when is this gonna end? When is this gonna end? I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on about God's judgment. All I know is this, it makes me not want to be here when that happens, <laughs> all right? And 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 for us to not face that, we have to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about those um Uh, Those seven angels and the seven plagues. So here's the entrance of the seven angels found in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed. So I think we're getting here towards the end. All right, verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God, and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the lamb. And it says this, "Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who Will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Verse 5 After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was open. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Would I picture an angel wearing? Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were Completed. So let's discuss this really quick. So these are the last of the judgments. Once these judgments are completed, then the earth will be at rest. We are not going to have any more sevens in judgment after this. God's wrath is finished with these seven bowls of his wrath. Standing beside the sea of glass mixed with fire are those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. Conquering does not come by warring militarily with the beast, but by remaining faithful and pure to the Lamb. So when it says that those people have conquered the beast, it's, it's talking about those who did not take of the mark. Whenever the great tribulation was here, after the rapture, those people who do not take the mark of the beast. So what does it mean to be triumphant over the beast? It doesn't mean you fight the beast. It means you resist. That's exactly what the Bible talks about. Uh, James talks about this: resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't don't rebuke the devil; resist the devil. It's really interesting. The Bible never talks about rebuking the devil. I'm not saying that you can't, but it doesn't say talk about rebuking the devil. It talks about resisting the devil, resist the devil, ignore the devil, and he will flee from you. That's exactly what these people did. That we're talking about. They were victorious of the beast just. By resisting the mark of the beast. How can you be victorious in your life? Just resisting the devil. It's right there. You and I can be victorious in our life just by resisting those thoughts. When those thoughts in your head come in, you need to resist that. You need to replace it with something else. Okay? When you are around people that's causing you to go on the, on the wrong path, you need to resist them. It doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter if they, if they scold you. It doesn't matter if they cast you out or unfriend you or whatever. You've got to resist them and go along the path of righteousness because that is a way to be victorious. And we see that right there. So let's talk about these, uh, these rafts. These bowls of wrath. We're at chapter sixteen. Okay, last chapter for today. Verse one through two. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, "Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth." The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on all the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. You ever had a? You ever had a sore? You had an open wound. If had had a blister, it's going to be bad. You don't want to be around. Second bowl. The second angel poured out his bowl on, on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea died. Third bowl. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one. You who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar response. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. You know, I don't want to drink blood. I did when I was little as a dare, but I don't want to drink blood. Fourth bowl. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. They refused to repent. Even then, they refused to repent. The fifth bowl. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores but they refused to repent of what they had done. You know, it's amazing before we get to the sixth bowl. It's amazing how people, there are people living today Living in shame, living in open sores of their heart, and living in agony over what they've done, the decisions that they've made, and, they, and living in the, in the bed that they made in, and they still refuse to give glory and honor, and they still refuse to repent God is showing. You may, see, you may see God's wrath on here. We do see God's wrath. But you know what I also see? I also see God's grace. I see God's grace. I see his mercy time and again. Yeah, the church is raptured. But guess what? I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance because God truly loves everyone. And what he's punishing, he's it is, it is punishing evil in this world. Six Sixth bowl. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw impure spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty." And this is Jesus talking here. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gather the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, this sixth bowl talks about drying up the river Euphrates. Now, next week, when I start next week in, in, in chapter 17, there's a very unique um, sort of backstory behind this drying up the river Euphrates. You don't want, you don't want to miss that. I'm going to start that up uh, next week. But just know this. The river Euphrates, which runs in that area about where this battle is going to be, it's going to be dried up, and the army from the east is going to come. And we're going to see a big battle rage, and, and a big battle uh, is fought, and it's called Armageddon. Now, this is the only place in Scripture where this word is even, uh, is even in print. Armageddon. Now, what does Armageddon mean? It means the Mount of Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo, which is actually... Uh, a, a, a mount there that overlooks the Jezreel Valley. Now, the Jezreel Valley is where bloody battles have taken place and where the bloodiest battle of all time will take place. You can actually go and, <clears throat> and YouTube this. I did. And uh, there's people who are talking about um, this Mount Megiddo. And if you're standing on this Mount Megiddo, you can over you can see this valley <clears throat> of Jezreel going down. And all around the valley are are uh, other mountains that you hear and you read about in Scripture. In this Jezreel Valley, you can see how this mighty uh, battle of Armageddon will take place in the last days. And so it tells us where that's going to be. So seventh bowl, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Remember, not diluted wine. Verse 20, Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plagues of hail, because of the plague was so terrible. So that's where we're going to stop today. God has finished his wrath. God has finished his plagues with the seven angels and the seven bowls of his wrath. So God's judgment comes like a thief. He shares that in verse 15. He says it again. So no nation thought that they would ever fail, that they would ever fall. As we see in verse 15, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked by a shameful exposed. Basically, it's talking about blessed is the one who clothes himself in my righteousness, in God's righteousness, whose, whose shame, whose evil is not exposed. Just like Adam and Eve, their nakedness was exposed. Their evil was exposed. So no nation thought that they would ever fall. No world power thought that they would be taken over by another. Yet history shows us that nation after nation has risen and fallen. We must always be prepared to remain true to Jesus, even if it becomes a time for our nation to receive judgment for its sins. God's judgments come unexpectedly. God's final judgment will come like a thief. Here's what's really important about this book of Revelation, especially where we are right here in, in this part of the book, and especially where we are as a country. Where we are as a country, I see people all the time. I hear people throughout the past few months, it's like, dear God, can, there, can, can anybody else run for president? I mean, is this really, is this really all we have? <laughs> These two people, is this really all we have? Can I tell you something? God is the one who establishes kings and kingdoms and presidents. And God is the one who's making those decisions. Now, does God, does his original plan probably have someone better than the two we have there? Probably so. That's not his plan. That's not, that's not his original plan. But here's what I believe I believe God has seen the fall of the integrity and the holiness of the nation of the United States and how we have taken God out of so many areas of our life. Right now, we're in a school, we're in a school building. We're able to, to preach God's word here, which is great but I can't, I can't do this on the stage during school while the kids are, are here because we have taken that out of our schools during, uh, during the day. Now, thank God that we have a great uh, FCA uh, organization here in Bartow County, and uh, we have an FCA here even at South Central Middle School and across other schools um, and so we, in Bible clubs, at elementary schools, we have awesome opportunities to share the gospel and to hear the message before school starts. So we're grateful for that. But can't you see that God has been stripped out of our society? And God is saying, all right, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Then here's your choices. Here's what you're going to get. Here's what you're going to get. Now, I'm not, I'm not in any way saying that you should not vote. You, you need to vote. But right? that's between you and the Lord. You need to vote. I've already voted. Okay? You need to vote. I, I encourage you to pray <laughs> before you vote, obviously. But know this. We've got to get our country back on track. And it begins with prayer. And it begins by the church Realizing who she is. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And so, church, no longer do we need to sit stagnant and and as if we have no boldness, we need to be bold about our faith. We need to resist evil. We need to resist the devil. We need to start acting like we're the body of Christ, like we're the children of God. We need to not be lukewarm. We need to not lose our first love. We need to be able to follow after Jesus with all of our hearts, and we need to be able to, uh, to resist those people around us that are trying to get us on the wayward path. Church, we need to act like the church. If we act like the church... If we got on our knees and we prayed and we shared Christ and we got in, and stayed in God's word, what an amazing turn of events that will be for our country. Because I believe one of the things, one of the reasons why our country has has taken God out of it, has stripped God out of it, is because the church has become complacent. We can't do that. Now I'm not saying we need to go march in the streets. I'm saying we need to get on our knees. We need to pray for our country.